Welcome to No Challenges. Remaining episode 301A, I think we're going to call this, after the highs of episode 300 yesterday. I'm Ben Rothenberg. Today's French Open action, I feel like, was a lot about age. You know, 39-year-olds Roger Federer and Serena Williams both exiting the tournament under different circumstances. Some young players coming up. So the questions are, who's too young, who's too old? And I figure, who knows more about the aging process than someone who's gone through the least of it that I can think of of any person in tennis media? Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets is here to bring his his youthful, boyish charms to the mic. Alex, thanks for being here. Uh, it is always a pleasure. Opelka, Sakari, Pavlochenkova, Kirstea, Gruskin. That's what people see in their podcast feeds. That's how it should be. It is a pleasure to be joining you. If you saw the state of my hairline, you would say, oh, he's aged a little bit, but I am happy to bring my youthful charm to today's show, and thank you for having me. Let's start. You mentioned hairlines, which makes me want to start with Federer, who's, you know, his hairline, it's, he's, he's almost 40, so it's nothing to be ashamed of, but it's not what it was, you know, obviously. Uh, not quite the Nadal comb-over situation we saw yeah, earlier this tournament. I, that feel, was, yeah. I always say, for me, because it's the next gener, when Medvedev shaves his head, I'll shave mine. Because I'm like, that's a fair. We can ride this out together. But <laughs> Nadal is inching towards that territory. The last French Open title Nadal wins, I hope he does it with a shaved head. And it's like a bald Michael Jordan send-off. Wouldn't that be full? He's he's had a full cicada cycle. Like, I'm it's sh- crazy. <laughs> full cicada cycle. I'm shocked that you uh, that you went with Jordan instead of Agassi, the obvious oh, bald, sh- you know, tennis aging champion option there. That's but anyway. my time. Yeah. But no, no more so than Jordan. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> All right. Let's talk about Federer first. Federer pulls out of this tournament. He plays late last night and beats... Uh, Dominic Kupfer in four sets on the Peacock uh, wins uh, a good match, you know, solid match. Kupfer obviously had some tight moments. Federer was solid, and then he he hinted at the in the tournament like he'd have to discuss his tournament future. You know, will I stay? Will I go? He chose to go. Hall is coming up. You know, Wimbledon's coming up. He it always he's coming to the tournament saying he didn't expect he wasn't planning on winning it really honestly, and he was sort of using it for match prep too. But it is weird. I did a, a few interviews about it, too. It is weird, you know, seeing a, a, a star player use a Grand Slam event pretty much just for practice. Like it, it, some people, I think, had a weird, a different reaction to it. What do you think of, of, of Rogers French Open now that it is over giving a walk over to Berrettini who goes into the quarters now? You have to separate the tennis and the non-tennis storyline. The support that Roland Garros showed Roger upon his withdrawal is obviously a noted difference to the initial response to Naomi Osaka. And well, it was very know, differently just, handled too, because like yeah, they let course. he let he told Roland Garros you know privately that he was he was bowing out. Roland Garros announced it themselves. It wasn't like they got blindsided by this at all. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was different. So there was a difference in process, and again, that's why I leave that sort of subject up to the smarter people, the ones in the press room, which is just a gripe I'm going to always air whenever possible. But no, it's it, it tennis-wise, what did you expect if you're a Roger Federer fan, that he was going to win this French Open? That was never going to happen. Case in point, Don Kopfer, who did. I would say that's the closest, the closest approximation 
someone has come to replicating what Rafael Nadal does to Roger Federer at the French Open. Kofor did a really disciplined job keeping his backhand down the line, getting the ball into the backhand corner of Federer. And even when Federer was able to run around, hit forehands, Kofor was fluid enough that he was able to track that ball down, get the point back to neutral now. Because Kofor didn't quite have the Rafa sting on the forehand side, Federer still able to hit through him there. And you look for Federer overall, the effectiveness with his first serve. I mean, he was good all uh, throughout his three victories. And that's Mm -hmm. all that mattered here in this event. And yeah, he's going to have to do it seven times at Wimbledon. But the tennis isn't going to be as physical, and he stood the test this yeah. time. So, like, it, it's net positive. I think it's net huge positive. I think for him, he got everything he wanted out of this tournament. You know, like, he got the match prep, the reps, and live ball matches, including his first ever empty stadium experience, which was it, – it hit different seeing Federer in, a different, <laughs> in an empty stadium than it did for the past few months. It just felt different knowing how bucket listy so many people treat his matches, like what sort of a – you know, I, I got my parents' tickets to Wimbledon one year, a couple years ago, and the woman, it, they happened to, be a, happened to be a Federer day, and Federer does not mean much to my mom, because my mom does not follow tennis too closely, and she was just marveling the whole time afterwards, like, how much people care about this guy, how much people love, like, this guy, and how the woman next to her would, like, give her this whole sermon about how there's both objective beauty and subjective beauty, and how Federer's objective beauty, and it was this whole thing, and she was like, wow, this is, this is deep this Federer thing. <laughs> and, and yeah. And, and so it, seeing him in an empty stadium, it felt different, but yeah, that he got, it was kind of perfect French open for him, assuming he has no sort of niggling injuries, which we don't think he does. He looked pretty, pretty solid out there. He gets some match prep. He gets to use, I, I tweeted it. He gets to use the French open as a warm up for Hala. That's explicitly what it is. He's trying to get in shape for Hala and 100%. like, and, and having goals like that is fine. And I, and I was open to the logic that both he and Serena might be well served to skip the French Open. I think both of them in their own ways. Obviously, Serena, you know, goes out with an L and gets gets a loss and maybe hurts her confidence or her her aura a little bit or her, you know, you know, to the extent that matters. And I think it does. But they both get some match practice. They both get you know a handful of wins and and some reps because they really haven't. They've been really part time players lately, both of them. And so that that's only a good thing for Federer. I, I think I think Federer set up set up pretty well for Grass now. I think that he's you know got to be in the in the top you know three four favorites for for winning the title like why not no absolutely and i think the most impressive part was how different the three wins were the istman mm. win in round one for federer looked exactly like a roger federer first round win does he was just so much better than his opponent he made 71 percent of his first serves won 80 percent of those points wasn't broken in the match that's the roger federer we all know and love match two he had the physical test because Chilich hit the ball hard enough to make Federer uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And the good news for Roger Federer fans is, again, he was able to execute high degree of his serves. The, the numbers were 68, 75, 57 splits in terms of the percentages, you know, first serve percentage. It's all in front of me. This isn't well, off the top of my head. Come with the you numbers, Gruskin. I love it. I yeah. love it. No, but it, it, the point is, so again, metrics-wise, he passed that test. And then physically— Kofor was the fresher of the two players. Let's be honest. That match, as shocking as it felt, was on. It was played at Dominic Kofor's pace. The match, yeah. you know, unfolded the way he would have wanted it to look, and that's a testament to how he executed. And by the way, quick tangent here because you know I was fresh off of the college tennis beat. 2016 NCAA Men's Singles Championships featured number three seed Dom Kofor, who, by the way, was knocked out in the third round by Ty Kwiatkowski. Also had Cam Norrie, semifinalist that event, Mackie mm. McDonald, 
champion of that event. Guys like Torpegard, Kwiatkowski, Vukic, who are all grinding on the Challenger Tour. The point is, college tennis works. I think this Grand Slam was a great, on the men's side in particular, testament to that fact. Have to throw that plug in whenever possible. Um, But... Again, for Kopfer, that's the match Roger Federer is going to have to win at Wimbledon, and he won it here. Can he do it again is still a question, but as you mentioned, now he's got a couple of grass court events to prove that out. I think you're right. So let's transition to Serena here, because Serena did not get it. I mean, did not. She won Mm -hmm. a good match uh, against college players. We use that segue against Danielle (laughs) Collins was her sort of Kopfer match, right? Coming back from 1-4 down in in the second set to beat Collins 4-4. In that match, that was her collegiate win. She got her sort of, you know, diploma at the French Open from that effort. And then she goes today in the fourth round. And then, you know, the talk changed about Serena because the draw really opened up for her. I'm not sure that she did. The Collins win was good. Collins is a legit player. People respect Collins. They know how dangerous she is when she's on top of her game. She played decently but not amazing against Serena. I think she's a tough time summoning her peak, you know, fiery Danielle with a Y-ness, you know, on – Against, against a player like Serena, who she has so much respect and, and friendship for. But so Serena comes out in the next round against Rabakina. The talk has shifted. There's no players left in the top 20 in the bottom, you know, half of the draw. Maybe this could be her time is sort of the buzz. And then she didn't honestly, like, this match did not feel as close as the scoreline against Rabakina, losing three and five. And Serena really felt like she was clinging on. I, I, I look at your, your, your little half sip you got there. I see the beautiful <laughs> block M that you're wearing from our shared alma mater of Michigan. And, and I was getting some texts from from my one of my friends from Michigan in high school, uh, Lonnie, who's a, a huge Serena fan, who was texting during this match, and he was, like, more pessimistic about her than I'd ever heard him be. He was like, man, she does not have it right now. Like, this this Rubakina, who is not a very close tennis fan, I don't think he probably knew who she was, was, like, beating her easily, and, like, she looked slow, and, like, I couldn't argue with any of that. Like, she did, and she was, and it was, like, not a situation where Rubakina played the match of her life. Like, Rubakina was solid, but had some ups and downs and I feel like still come out with a relatively clean victory that would mean to me that Serena was nowhere near winning the French open. What that means for Wimbledon, I think it's a completely different conversation potentially, but I don't think she was close to winning this French open. I think people got carried away with that pretty quickly. I think that was just a product of the bottom half opening up the way it did come. If you rewind a week, I, the conversation in most of the previews I listened to or you read around on tennis Twitter. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't high on her before the tournament, for sure. Yeah, the tennis intelligentsia, as I like to call them, were not particularly high on the Serena winning this no. grand slam. But, you know, a lot of this had to do with Rubakina, who was sensational. I mean, she swung through Serena Williams. She just played her game. She kept, you know, going big on those returns or her ability to absorb the backhand pace, give it right back to Serena was was delicious. That, yeah, that, it was that, incredible. That Rubakina forehand down the line, it's so uh, sweet. Like Especially it's just on like, the return so, when yeah. she gets her length into it and just extends out. It it's is so something. clean. It's such easy power. It looks so effort- like it's like she barely swings and then pff, the ball is gone. Like it's right in the corner for a winner. And it reminded me of like you, you can say something else after this, but like it just reminded me and I talked about in the draw show I definitely talked about or even our third round preview kind of show. When I discussed Rubakina, I was like she was one of the players who was hurt most by the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of momentum interruption, she was absolutely soaring, probably like I'm guessing like roughly like four or five in the race, probably when the tour shut down mm-hmm. in 2020, limited sample size, but she was killing it. And then to see her come back and show her talent in this way and look unbothered out there, like I was I was impressed by her today. 
I believe in the lead up to the Australian Open last year, pre-pandemic, she went finals, title, and then third round loss to whomever the higher seed was in her section. And just you're right, she was Barty. cruising. It was Barty. Yeah, it was Barty. Right. And then and then and then she did really well in the Middle East too. Yeah, right, exactly, for, yeah. and just kept rocking and rolling. And this and St. Petersburg, to, I think. Yeah. Yeah that that was where I think she won the title beforehand or something like that. But she won Hobart, I think. To, anyway, yeah. Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. You knew I was going to bring it up. It's a running gig we have on our Cracked Rackets podcast, whether it be the Great Shot podcast, the Mini Break podcast, or the Cracked Interviews podcast, which you can find on the website, CrackedRackets.com. Right now, I'm not going to lie, it's Jeff Sackman and I because he's the only one who's agreed to do it with me. It's, you know, Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Because what does Serena Williams do better than any player in women's tennis history? In particular, started with just the first serve country club, but that was just too narrow, and I wanted to, you know, expand band out and have more players and extend the metaphor. And so this was really a comparison to say, what do Serena and Naomi Osaka, they're the two players who do it better than everyone else. The numbers manifested out their break percentages or, or excuse me, their hold percentages over 80%. That's an elite category. They hold serve better than anyone else. I test wise, you see their first serves. They're just better than anyone else. Why it extended out to power tennis is because there are other people who flirt with that sort of game who, when they're clicking, they hit through you. They're just better than anyone else in women's tennis. You think Petra Kvitova, she's a property mm-hmm. owner in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. It's a modest estate, you know, two parents who both have nice jobs, lawyer, OB-GYN, we'll say, for both sides. And again, you're like, they're not OB-GYN. struggling for anything. They're, they're, they're very comfortable. That's a personal experience. You go with what you know. Um, and just, again, you you have for... Why is it a country club? It sounds more like a, like a subdivision. But it's like a, the Florida Country Club, where it's kind of a subdivision as well. It's like a whole a gated, gated community. That's, is, is that yeah. what it's called see again it, i guess I, country that club i don't is more know. yeah country club is more a place you're a member of but i'm trying to make live ex- at the club okay yeah, but it's trying to be exclusive as well because like you know they had a meeting about arena sabalenka and jeff's convinced there's like a safe <laughs> in the owner's manual where you like get in the safe and it'll just be the key code to sabalenka and she solves the country club and it's just like oh it's actually just sabalenka that's it that's the future um but you know we talked about it Rabakin is going to be allowed to golf on weekends. Like, we had a meeting, and I think what we've learned from this is it's time to induct her because she does have that gear where it's just kind of like, oh, your first serve is an elite trait when you're hitting on your front foot, which she was able to do against Serena today, which that yeah. was the most surprising thing to get back to the Serena part of the equation was that Rabakina was on her front foot. Um, and hit through her and again that's a credit to her and now that bottom half it's on her racket she's playing the best of anyone in the section of the of that bottom yeah, half let's, of the let, draw. let's get let's get to that right now i mean that's interesting that you say that because i think most of the most of the sort of vox popular that i'm hearing among my intelligentsia as you call them <laughs> people are leaning pretty hard on bedosa people think sure. bedosa has been, been the hot player on clay the foreign player on clay big madrid run really good match against anabaga which i still think was the best match in the tournament so far her draw is pretty great. She gets, you know, Tamara Zidansic in the in the quarter and then plays the winner of Rabakin and Pavlychenkova. Yeah, I mean, I can make an argument for three of these players. Like, I, I cannot quite come up with a Zidansic argument. I mean, although I do think her story is cool, you know, three-time national snowboarding champion in, in Slovenia. In, <laughs> oh, I'll in, make this the Zidansic case. Don't worry. But, but uh, you, if you want to. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but it, it's a fascinating section where we get four women who've never even made a semifinal. We're going to have two first-time semifinals, no matter what, and a first-time finalist. Pavlyuchenkova, you mentioned her as an NCR guest, getting big NCR bump energy out of this uh, her appearance. <laughs> 
Pavlyuchenkova has, uh, yeah, she has by far the most experience, and it's a question of just if that matters. Like, I think she's playing really well, and I think in Andy Roddick, there's an Andy Roddick quote that was recirculating this past week that was, you know, confidence matters more than experience, and we'll take confidence any day over experience, and when you're in the fourth round or quarters of a slam, everyone has reason to be confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a question of, of who does what with that. Yeah, it could be a interesting one for... For sure. What you, how do you how do you see this fourth quarter this this bottom half shaking out with these people? One of whom will be a French Open finalist. I, when I was listening to Peacock or maybe it was NBC at that point, they were like looking at the drama, like, and we're gonna have one of these women in the final. Like, okay, they did not sound psyched about it, but it's, it's what it's gonna happen. In a quarter that could have been Serena, could have been Osaka, could have been Andrescu, could have been Azarenka, could have been Sabalenka. Dika. Yeah, could have been all those people. They get this. So yeah. a bit of a throw in there, like that's another brand name player. Like, what do you, how do you see this playing out? Well, the Pavlochenko of a bump so big, they now call you three TV Ben with your appearances in the past day. Oh, that's God. just, you know, that's the name going around, but no. So again, to get to one of my clubs, one of my stats, who are the players that matter? Uh, because this is a debate you and I often get to off mic of, you know, my youthful naivete. I tend to get excited about the random run here or there. And you like to say, settle down. Which is usually justified. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the Bedosa run she's been on, uh, you look over her last, I think, yeah. 52 weeks. I think she's 31-9 and nine or something crazy like that. Maybe it's 32-9 and nine now. I think it's a 72% win percentage. And the big number I like to turn to is you know, Tennis Abstract's leaderboard. You can separate by hold percentage, break percentage amongst top 50 players. In the last 52 weeks, there are six players who rank in the top 20 of both hold percentage and break percentage. And I would argue these are the six players who have mattered most in the last 20, you know, the last 52 weeks in total, not individually but in total. Okay. The three that are top 15 in both categories. Shviantek, we agree mm-hmm. she matters. Muguruza, we agree mattered for the majority mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And Sabalenka, who struggles aside at the majors, has absolutely mattered. Yep. Now the other three names you get included, Own Shabur, She's mattered week in, week mm-hmm. out. Stud. She's still in this tournament. Yep. Elisa Mertens, who just got eliminated by Sakari, but was your 2020 wins leader. She's and a mattered. Great match. Great match. And, and sixth, Paula Bedosa. Yeah. So there you, those are the six that have mattered. And if you extend to top 25, you get names like Bardi, Sakari, Kavitova, the names you're like, well, what about them? They're right on the outskirts of that category. But I'm just saying the results have mattered for Paula Bedosa. She continues to get better and better, more consistent. And the only thing that slowed her down was being on the wrong plane on the flight to Australia. Like, that That's was true. really it. That's true. Yeah, she got the COVID. She was the one player tested positive. And so it would be quite a, quite a glow up for her to have this uh, run to the run. Already, it's a great story. And if she keeps it going, I think it's an even better story. You know, she comes out of the section where she was 33 seed, you know, last minute additional seed. Goes into the Osaka section of the draw, essentially. It, yeah, it's, it's a really good story. It, she's the person who I think has it here. Um, I want to shift to, we'll do a more sort of. I didn't answer pre- the question, by the way. I skipped what? it. I bailed out of the prediction. If, okay, I, yeah. So, so, who, so who, do you, who, do you, who do you got? Uh, you know what? I just gave the whole case for Bedosa. I'm going to stick with Rubakina. I just, the power tennis. It's on her racket because I, if she I, swings through, I'll take it. I was going to say, peak every, if everyone's peaking, I think it's Rubakina. Yes. I yeah, think and did she just play her best match? That's the question. We'll find out. Yeah, and I just don't think so. I think like she had that, yeah, especially she had, a, she had a hiccup in that in the up four three in the second. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't a, that clean of a win. As much as it was like she never came close to losing, really. Yeah. It was also like it was not like she completely you know put Serena away completely cleanly. So anyway, 
top half of the draw is some people in it too, but I want to zoom out to the sort of bigger question of like age and stuff in the tour. And this obviously goes, to the, we'll kind of cross-reference the men's draw here too, because the men's draw, we got this sort of kids table in the bottom half going on. Here. There's no, <laughs> there's no Pavlyuchenkova being the chaperone here. It's uh, Medvedev against Tsitsipas. We know and we love him as a rivalry. Fantastic matchup to see in the quarterfinals of a slam. Medvedev, absolutely Zhang Shuaing out there. You win one match, you win them all. You know, like Zhang Shuai, I don't know if you get that reference. Hopefully you do. She never won a match as a major for no, a long time. and wins one and makes the quarters of Australia. We love to see it. Uh, Medvedev looking sharper and sharper. Really convincing wins over Opelka and Christian Garin in the next round. So he's in the quarters against against Tsitsipas. And the other one features Davidovich Fokina, who is the big sort of the sort of surprise of this half. Who had some? Who had a good? Who had a relatively helpful draw? We got to say, but had a good win in the third round against Casper uh, uh, Rude, seven five in the fifth, and then gets to beat Del Bonus in the fourth round. So you're not you're not mad at seeing Del Bonus in the fourth round as an opponent. Let's be honest about that. Mm-hmm. But Davidovich Shokina getting some love, getting you know plenty of Karate Kid references, getting love for the anim- animal rescue and stuff. He's in there against Zverev. Especially with Sitsipas, Medvedev, and Zverev, I mean, as a group, I mean, they're all sort of similar levels of experience. They've all been to plenty of, quite a few quarters by now. One of them will be in the final, will be the first French Open final for any of them. But, uh, yeah, do you think whoever comes out of there is ready to, <laughs> okay, let me, let me rephrase, let me, let me put this two ways. Is, let's say Djokovic makes it through to the final, whatever happens. Can one of them <laughs> okay. beat Djokovic? I think Nadal is like kind of like an easy. On if you're being honest, you say no to Nadal like pretty quickly. Like you don't even. I at least me, I don't entertain that possibility. But in a world where they're not playing Nadal, in the world where they're playing someone like a Djokovic of the French Open caliber player, who's you know obviously you know great you know goat contender, Djokovic, but not Nadal French Open final level lock. Like, do you think one of those guys is is ready? Make your case for why or why not. Uh, well, for the record, I'm coming back to a women's thought because I have an ego-related question for you that yeah. fits into this generational theme. But to mm-hmm. talk about the men's side, you know, again, same club, 20% hold break percentage. These numbers make even more sense. It's six players on the men's side. Medvedev, uh, Zirev, Rublev, Karatsev, then Nadal and Djokovic. And those are the it six so crazy players. that Karatsev is already that rare air. That's amazing. It's no, but he has been that good the last few He has been weeks. that good, and that's why it was so crazy. I was like, in the first week of the tournament, I was like, wow, upset the tournament so far. Kolschreier <laughs> beating Karatsev. Like, what 100%. would that have sounded like six months ago? That's insane. No, I agree with you. And so, to get to that bottom half, and for the record, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina is everything American tennis fans want Tommy Paul to be. He just is. The athleticism, the all-around skill, the antagonistic kind of, like, in-your-face-at-all-times, like, that— that think, sort of energy. I think that's what we're missing. Tommy Paul's got to thicken up quite a bit to get to Davidovich Fokina sort of levels out there. Davidovich Fokina is like a muscly boy. Yeah, at but this point. but but Tommy, Tommy Paul's that sort of. But he's that sort of athlete. He is that. He's stringy. an athlete, but he's 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 a lot stringier as an athlete. I think that's what I'm saying. But I think there's that. That's what I'm, that's the they're everything we want him to be because it's like he is still a little bit stringy. I'm not disagreeing with you. Okay. The matter okay. of, uh, you're agreeing with me when we're arguing about it. This is why we talk so much. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I don't know if that's what just happened there, but okay. Yeah. Fair. Um, no, but anyways, he. It, the question is physically how much does he have left in the tank because it was four physical sets for him today. That's 14 sets in his last three matches. That's a lot of tennis, and now he's going to take on the guy who, to get to your question, who's the best physically prepared? It's Lord Voldemort. There's no denying that. That it just he, he and his team have been prepping him for these three out of five sets. That's six in a row where he's made the fourth round or further. Like, again, the tennis-wise, he is just the fittest of these five – of these three players and from a Nadal perspective like again 
pressures of the match aside, Alex Virov is who you build to beat Rafael Nadal. 6'6", incredible backhand, can move physically, has the big first serve to disrupt Nadal's rhythm when it's landing. On paper, again, purely on paper, that's the case for Zverev. And he doesn't have to go through Medvedev or Tsitsipas first. That would be case number one for Zverev. Not that I think that's the strongest case. I think I'm, I'm going, I guess, from weak, ones I'm trying to convince myself least of to most. Uh, the second would be Medvedev, because just physically, the guy's a nightmare to play three out of five. He yeah. takes away what you do best. His ability to move on this surface has borne out, and then there was a time where he was holding serve at the rate of John Isner and breaking serve at the rate of Prime Djokovic, so he's broken the numbers as well. And it's just like he can do a little bit of everything. Now, he's the worst matchup against Nadal and Djokovic, probably, but against Zverev and Tsitsipas, when the pressures start to emerge, and it's just, can we make enough balls to get over the finish line? He's the one who answers that question best. But the guy who's most prepared, the guy who's got the gumption to do it, is obviously Tsitsipas. I mean, Tsitsipas plays on his terms. If the forehand's landing, he beats you. Like, if the serve is landing, he beats you. And it doesn't matter if yeah. you're Nadal. doesn't matter if you're Djokovic. Physically, he's ready at this point. But he's also got the toughest path. Medvedev, Zverev, and then one of Nadal or Djokovic. Like, good freaking luck getting through that. So the answer is Nadal is going to win a Pete Sampras worth of French Opens. Oh, okay. A Pete Sampras career haul. That's that's an interesting unit of measurement. That's that's nice. I Yeah, it's interesting. It's tough to judge looking ahead too much with Medvedev and Tsitsipas and Zverev, honestly, because with the exception of whatever nonsense Zverev was doing against Oscar Atta in the first round, which is classic <laughs> Zverev recently, like, let's play five sets for no reason. They've all, they, I mean, he's been very convincing since then. He destroyed Nisha Corey. At, you know, Tsitsipas really convincing in his wins. Obviously, dropped a set to Isner, but, you know, that's the French Open. Isner's obviously the best the best French Open player there is. And uh, Medvedev similarly getting better and better each round. So, like, tough to know when they've, when they've all kind of shown few signs of, of weakness and vulnerability, how they're actually going to clash. But, yeah, they had, Tsitsipas had the best clay run of any of them. Medvedev is the highest ranked for reason. And Zverev, I think, has maybe been playing, I think, the best so far in the in recent rounds anyway. So, yeah, so they all shape up differently. And then and then we have a generation younger than them, too, on this upper half of the draw here. We have Sinner and Musetti. People are excited about this. Uh, easy, easy to build. It's kind of like, oh, young Italian guys, uh, Ragazzi are here against uh, <laughs> against the uh, against the big three guys. And, and Perrottini's in there, too. Yeah, it's... Uh, do I think... I'm bummed for for Yannick Sinner, who you know I talk up his chances all the time. Like I feel like if Yannick Sinner was in the bottom half of the draw, we could be talking about him as a possible finalist. Like I think he's ready to beat all those guys potentially on his day. But, Sin- but Nadal is not that guy. Like getting Nadal fourth round worst case scenario for Sinner, absolutely in the draw. So hey, yeah, I, I I expect Schwartzman to get through Struff. I expect Nadal to get through. I expect well, Bertini already got through. I expect Djokovic to get through. Then I expect Djokovic and Nadal. And I expect Nadal and I expect Nadal again in the <laughs> final. I mean, I, I think I think it's that interesting. But if there's going to be a surprise, where's it coming? Do you think? If I gave you Sinner, Musetti, FAA, and Corda, does that four oh. win more slams? Then Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, and team. So you said Sinner, yeah. Musetti, FAA, you gave, me, you, you gave me Sinner, so the answer is yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. 
no doubt. I'm like, I'm so impressed by how like how good Musetti has been. At the same time, you know who's not going to care about any of his nonsense? Novak freaking Djokovic. It's just like okay. that is the worst opponent for Lorenzo Musetti to face at this point. That said, his athleticism jumps off the screen. His creativity does as well. He's also got sneaky pop on everything he does. It's just mm-hmm. everything you like in the modern player. He's going to be really good for a really long time. I, people are hopping off the FAA train so fast, and I'm just buying up all of that stock. I'm just sell it to me. At, it's I at agree. its lowest. And I I'll agree. I mean, not that we're talking about first round losers on this show too much, but FAA <laughs> was. Uh... It's the generational thing. It's like, because that's the next group. It's like Cinder Musetti, FAA, yeah. Corda. That's the next, next gen. That's that little four quartet. I think that, I think that, that I mean, losing. Losing to Seppi is not a good loss at that's, this stage in their right. career. That's, that's not a good first round loss. We didn't talk about Felix on the show, so we can talk about him a little bit here. We didn't talk about him last week. Losing to Seppi is not a good loss. I worry that he's, because his trajectory was pointed so high from outside observers, and talk about him was so over the top mm-hmm. so early, I worry that this kind of stall can create, you know, doubts or, or whatever, that he's going to he's gonna have to fight through this. You know, this is, this is now at this point, it's unfair you know, on paper, because of how young he still is, to think of him as being a 20 seed who goes out in the first round of a slam as being a disappointment when he's, you know, still, I believe, six and a half years old. Like, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, but he's not, the progression has not been good. And also, but then again, then again, it's, it's COVID, so, right? It's no, still pandemic. It's, Everyone should get a pass here. But that to being add said, to your that's metaphor. not a good loss to the Seppi. No, to add to your metaphor, he's a card that's stalled at number 21 in the world. There are a lot worse places to be stalled than that. And you look at the numbers for him, everything's just held steady. First serve percentage, first serve win percentage, hold percentage. His break percentage is creeping up, but not fast enough. He's just, he, that, he's just, he's just hitting, a, he's hitting a plateau. He's hitting a wall. Like he's which got Which is he's, fine, but he's which 20. Which is fine. Exactly. Which is fine. We're, and we're acknowledging that. But like, he's got, there's a bunch of different ways he can break through, right? A deeper exactly. slam run. Winning a 250 somewhere. I feel like with that yeah. with that finals record, that's got to be a hang-up for him on some level, 100%. being 0-7 in the tour finals. Crazy to have made seven tour finals at this stage in your career. Also kind of crazy to have been 0-7, you know, mm-hmm. in those finals. So, like, that, it, a lot of things cut both ways with, with Felix. I just hope, you know, you just see the pressure to how it can accumulate on people. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously that's been a soccer conversation in the, this past couple weeks, like, just hope that that Felix has you know the sort of grounding and and the pa- and everyone around him has the patience to know mm-hmm. like okay and also to realize like hey there's still a lot of things you can improve like mm-hmm. you're not there yet kid in some ways so so here's what you can do learn from the losses get better from them take them as as lessons and and yeah push forward hundred percent so to answer your question where's the surprise coming it's got to be Sinner over Nadal because Musetti's not winning Struve beating mm-hmm. Schwartzman isn't that big of a surprise at this point. It's just got to be Sinner has one of those days where he's got the fresh legs. He's connecting with everything perfectly. And Nadal's serve hasn't looked exceptional. It's just looked good, not exceptional. And so if Sinner can attack that second serve return, which has been attackable, he can maybe win a set. But, like, yeah, it's, it's like that's I would the offer, one. I would offer you on the menu, I haven't mentioned it, but I would offer you on this menu Berrettini over Djokovic as an option. Oh, I like options. Mm. <laughs> It's tough. No. No, I'm saving my upset pit for Djokovic over Nadal. I want to see him see Oh, you're picking that? You're picking that? Mix. If he beats Musetti in straights and he beats Berrettini in straights, again, I thought he was... The, where'd they play? Madrid? No, it was Rome. 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 I thought Djokovic was the better player in the first two sets. And, like, 
I thought he should have won the first two sets. He didn't, but you know who's well aware of that fact? Novak Djokovic, who has yet to drop a set in this event and hasn't been tested either. And if he can just get through this Musetti match, the Berrettini match, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you got to make the return deep at those feet. You can't let him hit first forehands. If you do, you're in for a long day. But that's, I don't think physically he's going to be as worn down as Nadal, who has potentially Sinner Schwartzman back-to-back next. And I just... I don't know. I'm on. You're getting choked up about this. Yeah, I'm just. I talk so fast. Um, yeah. I'm on the the joke of uh, not the bandwagon. I'm just. I'm on the joke of I think an upset's happening. It's it's been a, a, a full cycle. Like it's we haven't seen the big one yet. It's coming somewhere in this event. So are you, are you in Michigan? I am currently in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. What is your cicada situation there? You know, we're very fortunate that for some reason our neighborhood seems just buoyed. Perhaps it's the stench of me being on the two-week college grind. Um, but the cicadas have stayed away from our They are, they are here but, in D.C. They are no, loud. If you drive I have to, no- I have to south, noise cancel them out of the podcast sometimes. Ten minutes south, you can hear all of it outside. Again, I yeah. just think we're a cicada orgy-free zone. There you go. And we wish all of that for our listeners as well. Stay free of whatever unwanted orgies you, you wish to avoid in life, insect or not. And thank you for listening to NCR as we're now in the 300 range, 301A here with Alex Gruskin. The A is for Alex. Wait, can I sneak go in ahead. my eager question quickly? Yeah, quick yeah, one. sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Quick eager. No, Parting okay. women's thoughts. Go for it. Yeah, no, because we talked about the generational shift. Her ascent from, oh, she's playing really well first week of French Open to, Oh, she's going to win this thing and maybe not drop a set uh, a set again and her just prohibitive yeah. favorite. I, is is this just because Halep, Kerber, they didn't play an over Muguruza didn't play an overwhelming style of tennis and it's just like Andrescu, Osaka, mm-hmm. Iga, they just do and we're just that ready to accept them as the favorites because I'm ready to accept Iga as the favorite. Oh, I I mean everyone accepted Iga as the favorite and like she's as she's the clearest favorite I can remember at a slam who isn't Serena. Absolutely. Since, In forever. Well, I, I, well I, I would think since like some peak NN years. Like there were some NN years where she sure. was a huge favorite at the French. Like that would be about what it would come down to. And yeah, because Shiontek is just that far ahead of the field. And, you know, that said, she's still relatively unproven. She's still only made one slam quarter, I believe, in her in her life, and that was the one that she converted. So still some uncharted territory for her, and she's going to maybe start feeling the weight of, of the increasing expectation on her mm-hmm. but yeah but she is as presumptive a favorite as i can remember on the women's side for a long time and it feels justified and people were like to the point where when she got down a break in that first set against contivate in the last round people were like oh hell what the hat what <laughs> what we didn't expect this and it's like okay it's one break and it's shiante contivate and we're all freaking out so uh anyway yeah it, but she's looked really really good still winning the dubs too today mm-hmm. with maddox sands and, and a crazy match I, I yeah she 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 is representing something that is feels like a meaningful shift where it's like if the chaos is sort of dying down, and chaos is—I know people think it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, pejorative, negative term—but like, look at the bottom half; it's still kind of chaos happening around here. You can explain it, but it's not predictable what's happening at these tournaments. And then, uh, if, if she becomes like a real sort of clear, you know, person who's who's clearly in charge and got a good grip on the on events, I think that helps make the the story of the WTA a lot more coherent and uh, and clear. She has golfing privileges at the Power Tennis Country Club. Ostapenko's the back. She's not Power Tennis, though. To be honest. No, that's, that's why it's golfing privileges. Because they're like, oh, well, she hits through the forehand, rips through a clay court better than all of us. So we have to let her in for that skill. I don't think she wants to be a member of that club. I think she's going to politely turn you down and just go eat at a... 
So you want on the board is what you're telling me. This is good. And the other thing, Ostapenko is the back of the neighborhood. They're like, some years she goes all in on Halloween. Other years, it's just candy on the porch. Like, we're not, we're never quite sure. This analogy gets sloppier and sloppier, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm here for all of that. So wherever you guys are clubbing, country or not these days, listener, thank you very much for being with us here. Alex, thank you very much for being on Crack Rackets. And thank you to all our Patreon backers. You got your own Patreon for Crack Rackets. You're prolific over there. The amount of notifications I get on my Patreon app from Crack Rackets is outstanding. You, you really are doing tremendous work over there. Love to see it. You are the next gen, except for you actually do get some W's. Thank you very much, uh, Kreskin, for coming on here. And thank you to all of you for supporting NCR on our Patreon, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. We just broke 300, which is very exciting for us as our 300 episode hit. If you want to join that and get us further over the line towards new milestones, I don't know what the next number after 300 that's a big one is, you can uh, do so and join the likes of new backers since our last episode recorded, including Sumer and Stephanie Zook. So thank you to both of them. And we thank our Slam Champ backers every episode as, as Gress King blows kisses to these people. Uh, Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Sean Simeon, James Hindle, Audrey Wellens, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, and Timothy Liu, and our GOAT backers Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Were you dabbing? That, yeah, that's not, that's that's not dab that's on it here. No, no dabbing zone here. That was that's the, the longest humble brag I've ever heard. What, what was humble brag about that? No, those Patreon backers. I was like, Mary Carrillo, God, that's awesome. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, we're yeah. celebrating. Go Patreon backers. Yes. 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 Thank you very much to all of you. We're celebrating everything, celebrating life, tennis, and the French Open, which we hope will be uh, less depressing than it was in the start of this tournament. <laughs> Let's hope for a, a sunshine-filled clay time and just spread our peacock wings and fly, everybody. <laughs> so with that, we'll uh, see you next time. Keep Bye, folks.